You're listening to Jonathan Shepard on Tory Radio. Today it's my great pleasure to be talking to Scott Colvin, partner at Finsbury. What can I say about Scott? He's been advisor to both industry and politicians alike, including the last three prime ministers. He's the published author of How to Use Politicians to Get What You Want, but more recently he's published his book How to Survive a Select Committee. First of all, thanks for talking to us today, Scott. My pleasure. Now, before delving uh, into some of the intricacies of select committees from what they are to what they do and why they might be important, I think my first question is, what made you write, write a book about select committees? Uh, well, there's two reasons really. One is a bit of a, you know, uh, being a political geek, a bit of a passion of mine. Uh, I enjoy the select committee process. I think it's quite, uh, you know, it's one of the more interesting aspects of British politics. Um, but also there's a, clearly from my business perspective, there's a marketing reason for it as well. I've been uh, providing training for the last 20 years uh, in different forms for people that have appeared before select committees, done over a, nearly 100 now separate inquiries uh, in terms of practicing people and training people. Uh, and so I thought, why not? Why not write a book? Uh, I think it would be, I think it is the only one on the market which deals directly with select committee uh, preparation. Um, and that really was the thinking behind it. Uh, let, let's ask a, a very basic question then. Just what is a select committee? So this, this, the, the, basically, there have been parliamentary committees uh, for centuries, like going back to Tudor times. And what then happened is the, I mean, for example, the, the Public Accounts Committee, which is one of the more famous select committees, which looks at the, the way that government spends our money and sort of scrutinises that on a cross-departmental way. That committee has been in existence since uh, 1860. Uh, but most of the current select committees we know came about in 1979 when there were some reforms which created departmental select committees. And so the basic principle of select committee is it's a cross-party group of MPs uh, who will focus normally on a particular department or particular topic so, for example, there is a, a committee which looks at the Department for Culture, Media and Sport. And that committee, in a cross-party way, will examine the, examine the range of issues which are directly uh, relevant to that, the, the workings of that, of that government department and associated bodies. And, uh, and it will therefore, um, uh, it, it, it will call witnesses, it will examine papers, and it will, pro it will produce reports which governments has to respond to. So the, the select committees have a formal standing in Parliament, um, which is why people have to take them very seriously. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned uh, some of the, the work that goes on. I think to the uh, uninitiated, many people believe that, that they see Parliament and they, they believe that it's there or, or it's that, that's where government takes place it's on the floor of the house of commons so that when they see a, a half empty chamber uh, they're led to believe that no work's going on and, and, and you and i have both probably seen there's numerous pictures that every so often go around on social media showing empty benches which try to portray no work being done by politicians but isn't the case that much of the important work happens in these select committees yeah, they are, there is a lot of important work uh, and as you say, they don't take place in the main chamber, they, they tend to take place in one of two places, either in the, 
the old committee corridor of the House of Commons or sort of the Houses of Parliament, um, or they now take place in Portcullis House, which is the 20-year-old building um, just the opposite side of the road. Uh, and those are the kind of slightly newer, uh, sort of fresher rooms. Now, you're, you're absolutely right. There is a lot of scrutiny that takes place in the committees. There was a, a study undertaken by UCL which said that 30 to 40 percent of select committee recommendations in the reports that they produce uh, end up leading to basically become policy. So in many ways, being a select committee chair is more influential and powerful than a mid-ranking minister in the government department. Uh, let's come on to, I guess, how you'd feel if you're going to be a witness. What advice would you give to a potential witness who's been called to appear in front of a select committee? Firstly, I guess, in terms of preparation. Yeah, I mean, preparing is is absolutely vital if you're going to go before a select committee, uh, particularly if it's on an issue where you are likely to be there because you have questions to answer, rather than appearing as a sort of expert witness, can you help us with our inquiry? Um, it would be madness not to be fully prepared. And I suppose there's a number of ways of doing that. First of all, knowing your audience. So you know, who are the MPs that you're going to go before? What is the character of the, the select committee chair that you're going to be facing? Are they aggressive? You know, are they thoughtful and methodical in the way that they work? Um, what about the individual members? Do they have, uh, you know, is your business situated in any of their constituencies? Are their jobs related to what you do uh, for those MPs? Are they hard left? Are they more on the right? You know, what, what is their particular angle that they're going to come with? Then, of course, looking at what the committee has said about the issue and maybe any other previous hearings that you could watch and access. And those are sort of the basics. But then it's into kind of what are you actually going to say to the committee uh, and what is your what is the way that you're going to respond? What's the tone of response? What's your body language going to be like? And how do you get yourself out of you know, difficult situations that you might find yourself in? How important would you say the the chairman of a committee is in the sense, you know, can they push an agenda? Can they can they you know be quite powerful? And depending on the select committee, obviously uh, there may be you know some chairman in, in the past that have used it very much. As you said that you know it's as powerful as a mid-ranking uh, minister. They've used it to to make a name for themselves. Yeah, absolutely, and I think. Probably when you think about the most famous people who have chaired select committees, I think Margaret Hodge is one of those names that will jump out at people. She, she chaired the Public Accounts Committee between 2010 2015, and it was a real reign of terror, uh, where I think in particular, if you think about the, the tax issue that she took on. So she had a real beef with these big multinationals, often in the tech sector, who are not seen to pay their fair share of tax. And this was during the period of austerity. And she had Amazon, Google and Starbucks before her. And that hearing, which was in November 2012, is a real kind of landmark moment and directly led to the government introducing what was known as the Google tax, uh, which was around the way that companies report their, their, you know, their tax affairs within the UK. Um, Andrew Tyree, who was the Treasury Select Committee Chair, 
he was uh, had a huge influence on the government's implementation of uh, ring fencing rules for the banks after the financial crisis. So there are definitely examples where very prominent chairs have been able to directly change the direction of a political debate, policy debate. Uh, would you say there are any huge, essentially any huge no-nos in terms of appearing before a committee that you would think that, that witnesses need to be aware of? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is, which is always a difficult thing for people to take in, particularly if they're senior, they're a chief exec, is that I always tell them that you can't beat a select committee. So there's no way here that you're going to go in and, and score some huge victory by being much cleverer than the rest of the committee. The truth is, what you're really aiming to do is just to get through it in a way that people don't even remember you appeared in the first place. And so it's it's almost like, you know, it's playing for that nil-nil draw. Because even if you better the committee on the day, they can still get their revenge when they produce their final report. Um, so they'll always get you in the end if you try to be too smart, too clever. So always remember that. Um, I think, you know, you've got to remember that select committees are the court of public opinion. You know, they're not a court of law. So you, you know, Often it's your reputation that's on the line here. So whenever lawyers, for example, get involved in the process, and I've worked alongside lawyers, they're not helpful, um, to be perfectly honest, because they want the witness to say nothing at all. Whereas what we're trying to do is to say, look, you need to apologise or you need to show your, you know, your, your, your human side, show that you care about the issue. You're gonna, you're gonna fix it and make it better. Um, so people that go in and just sort of think that they can hide behind the lawyers and just play out the time are not really going to be very successful. Uh, I, I've been in this position, so I'm certainly going to have fun asking you this question. How do you deal with senior executives, CEOs, who perhaps think they've been there, they've done it, it's their company, and they don't need any coaching because they can answer any question and, and will do it however they like? Yeah. Uh, and I haven't counted that. Uh, I think the interesting thing is this, right? So if you're a chief exec, you do your AGM, uh, and and say for example, there's an issue around uh, your pay, it's going to be a tricky one. You can still manage the process. You can ensure that you know the way that you you, you kind of coordinate the day. Uh, you can make it so that you minimise the disruption. If you're going on the Today program. Even if it's terrible, it's three or four minutes. You can get through it. You can um and ah and just kind of get yourself out of in that time frame. The select committee will hold you as long as they need to hold you. And the, the example I think of is Philip Green, you know, with the BHS issue. He was, he was on his own giving evidence for six hours. So I always remind CEOs of that. Say, okay, you, 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 know, you fancy yourself in any given situation, but how about six hours of relentless questioning with a camera pointed in your face and surrounded and flanked by journalists? How, you know, how does that sound? And I think that's usually, that's usually kind of gets their attention to say, yeah, actually maybe the preparation would be a good idea. Uh, a personal experience of mine, I remember once when I was at Royal Mail when it was still uh, a public sector and in a select committee, we very much made the note, don't equate how much money is being lost to job losses the CEO did and we were on the front page of every national paper the next day uh, stating that we were going to sack 30,000 people. 
Uh, and that, bring, <laughs> that brings me very nicely to, to, to my, my next question is, what do you think the biggest causes are for a select committee appearance going badly? Does it come down to not taking advice and adequate preparation from experts such as yourself? Well, I've had, I've, as I say, I've done a lot of select committees. I've had two that have gone wrong um, that I've been involved with. And it's interesting, one of them is something we could have planned for, we did try to plan for, and the other one uh, was uh, a kind of unforeseen thing, which you can't really help. So the first one was, this is when I was in-house, the, the, there, there was a crisis um, and there were basically two companies involved in the crisis. The, my chief executive decided that he, in his words, he wanted to play fair. So he said, I'm going to, he had very little time for the select committee. So he said, I'm going to go in and I'm just going to like not really answer the questions. I'm not going to condemn the other side. I'm going to kind of, you know, play fair all along. And we said this is going to be a mistake because the other guy, we know he's going to come in after you and he's going to blame, blame us. And he said, well, you know, hopefully my, my evidence is going to help. Um, you know, uh, 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 persuade him not to do that. And not only did it play out as we expected, he got hammered and blamed by the next guy, but the committee was so angry at the lack of information and openness provided by our CEO that he was hauled in for a second special session um, just on his own. And the final report basically accused him of being a deceptive individual. So that that's reputationally that is a stain on on that on, on that person. So that that was one where we you know we did our best, but we just could not persuade him to change course. The other one was um, actually somebody who we went into train and we were really impressed by him. He was so knowledgeable about the business. He was so uh, confident, and we just thought you know you barely need to be trained. We did the training anyway. Everything was fine. Felt very confident. And then we watched on Parliament Live, he went into the room and what the committee had done is, it was an issue around military housing. And he, the committee had brought in these um, mothers who had basically, who had houses where there were kind of rat droppings and broken appliances and they hadn't been fixed by the company. And he was so thrown by the whole room uh, by the people in the front of the audience and the camera and everything else, you could see him physically, visibly start shaking. And he, and he, and he said in one of his first answers to the committee, yeah, it does seem that we've dropped a massive clangor. And that was the front page, I think, of The Sun, like the following day. So, you know, not much we could do about the second one, but, but the, they tend to go wrong because either you're not going to be willing to open up to the committee or or you just can't handle the pressure. Now, you, you've already mentioned that, that, that there can be two types of almost inquiry. One that's just very much fact-finding and you're an expert witness, and one where they're very much delving into either your business or your organisation. How much time do you think witnesses should put in in terms of preparing for a select committee? Say it's, it's the more aggressive type where you know that, that, that your company or your organisation is going to come in for some criticism if this doesn't go well. So it's partly based on how long you've got to the committee session takes place. And sometimes you get more notice than others. So I had one about a year ago where we were given a month's notice. So we did a month's preparation because the, the chairman really, really wanted it. So we did tons and tons of training and others where you just get a few days, in which case you just block out the whole day. 
I would say, ideally, you want a you 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 produce a pack of information for them. So all the stuff about the committee members, you do research on the issues that the that the MPs have raised in the past. Uh, you do a first introductory session, which is about. Um, what is a select committee? Let's talk it through. Let's talk about the process, why it's important, blah, blah, blah. Then you would do at least two dress rehearsals, which is where you set up actually as the committee itself um, and fire hard questions. The first one of those, usually you'll allow the witness to stop if they want to rethink the answer and maybe discuss the answer. And then you at least have one, which is a full scale, no holds barred, uh, rehearsal and I would say that's the sort of minimum for me is three meetings two two rehearsals one sort of talking about the messaging and and then you know associated kind of materials as well uh, I think this is be quite interested uh, with regards the, the the day of the appearance so you're in front of whatever select committee at 2.30 your witnesses is, is 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 there what are the do's and don'ts on the day so uh, well, the one one don't uh, I remember was we had a very major select committee hearing, three witnesses, and one of them lived in Sussex, and it was a time of the heavy snow that we had around that time, and because he refused to stay over in London, he wanted to go home and travel up in the morning. Uh, all the trains were basically uh, out of action, so. Uh, it was a massive panic and he did get there in time but with like half an hour to spare but so try to have the most stress-free start to the day as possible you know if you're if you're a business leader who lives outside of london stay in london the night before make sure you can you know get to the committee on time without being flustered you know maybe have a gentle run through in the morning um over breakfast of just you know but most of the time you're not trying to do hard prep uh, on the day of the committee itself. You'll usually get a letter from the committee which will allow you to fast track to the committee room so you shouldn't have to queue. Um, what I tend to suggest is if there are witnesses before you, so say for example another another group of people that are going to blame you for something, probably best not to go into the committee to be there in person to hear everything directly. Better to either come in in time for your session and have someone brief you on what was said or sometimes what I do is I agree with the committee clerk that our witnesses will have a room nearby, um, a private room where we can watch the, the, the first session and then just walk down the corridor to, to do their own. So, yeah, don't be stressed. Don't turn up sweaty um, and, and, just, and just go in feeling calm and kind of prepared. Uh, things go fine. Your, your, your preparation, you, 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 you've briefed and, and you've trained your witness they survive the session. Is there anything else that a witness needs to do after the session? Uh, so sometimes what will happen during the session is that very specific questions will be asked that the, per the witness can't answer. And I would always say, if you're not 100% certain of the answer, certainly don't, don't give that answer. But instead, you can say to the committee chair, uh, if it's okay with you, I would like to write to you on that matter and give you the information that you require. And if you do that like three, four times, you can, that's fine. If you do it too often, you'll get told, you know, what, why, why are you coming here with no information? Um, so after the session, quite often, you'll probably need to write to the committee 
and offer you know the additional information that you promise in the session the other thing is that they normally send you an uncorrected transcript of the session and you need to just check through to make sure there are no inaccuracies which and if there are then you, you do get the opportunity to correct them and I guess a final question is, given that uh, we have a government now with a, a, a sizeable working majority, do you think that select committees have risen in importance? I guess both in terms of it's a career route for a lot of backbenchers who may well not be getting chance to get on the ministerial ladder, certainly if you're a Conservative at the moment. Uh, and then I guess it's also a, a it's got to be one of the, the better routes to holding government to account because when you've got a big majority, governments can push through quite often what they want. So it will be these committees where, as you say, some of the policies may be amended or changed and thrust onto government. Yeah, uh, and I think that's interesting. I mean, you know, just earlier this week, I interviewed Darren Jones, who's the Labour MP, who's just uh, become the chair of the Business Select Committee. And I think he was, you know, I read somewhere that he'd been offered a, a junior role uh, under Keir Starmer, uh, but, you know, had, had gone for the select committee chair role instead. And, you know, his profile is going to become, you know, uh, much, much greater as a result of this. Uh, and I think he will, you know, gain respect also from Conservative members as well because he's ultimately doing a role which is not party political, it is a parliamentary role which is for the good of parliament you know, in the round and is not just uh, an opportunity to beat up the government for party political reasons. Uh, so I think Darren Jones will be more influential than a huge number of Conservative junior ministers who are trying to you know, rise up the ladder that way. Well, Scott, it's a fascinating, if uh, underreported, subject. I think people should certainly, who are interested, go out uh, and buy your book. Uh, and just it leaves me to say thank you for talking to us today. Thanks for your time, Jonathan. I really appreciate it.